This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Stream holder, but I leave the audio going just for casual chatter or anything just for fun. <laughs> All right. Nice. I can see uh, some people already in the chat. That's great. Well, I'm not seeing the chat. I'm on Twitter. Cyberpunk uh, Oh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot to click. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, that'll help. <laughs> I didn't set foot on Twitch for ages. Hey, we're live. Everyone can see us now. So what's up, everybody? This is the Cyberpunk Uncensored Mad Queen Breakdown Tutorial Crash Course is what I'm calling it. Everybody that's been watching what I'm doing, I'm making Cyberpunk Red uh, Tutorial Crash Course videos every day, kind of showing the different mechanics of Red. And in this one, I have a great interview with the Mad Queen um, who's joining me. And so I'm going to call this the Mad Queen Breakdown Tutorial Crash Course. So we can anyone that wants to learn about Mad Queen, this is the video for you. I can't imagine that you haven't already heard of her. If you haven't, you're probably living under a rock. She's pretty much not just the Mad Queen, but the Queen of Cyberpunk lore, um, as I can see it. Um, she's been dominating Cyberpunk uh, lore and vids and stuff for a while now and get, giving out some great content. But, um, but yeah, let's get right into it. Um, Mad Queen, thanks so much for joining me. I'm so happy to have you here. Thanks for having me. It sounds so weird to me, the concept of the interview. It's like, oh, people, so people can know about you. People want to know about me? <laughs> oh, yeah, most definitely. Yeah, when I, uh, I announced this, you know, I do all the videos about, you know, cyberpunk and all that. But when I do these interviews, it's always shocking to me how, like, you know, the guys at our Talsorian, yourself, other GMs I interview, they're always like, what? who wants to hear about me? Like, you know, everyone's <laughs> into cyberpunk. But you got to remember, like, you know, you have fans as well. Like, you know, I, I know you love cyberpunk just like me. But the fact you're putting out all this great content, you're building a fan base that really appreciate what you're doing. And I think because of that, they want to learn more about you as well as, you know, the cyberpunk information you're putting out. So that's why I'm trying to do these videos. <laughs> yeah, but it's funny because you know, usually I'm the person interviewing. So right. being on the other side is like, oh, look at that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you know, look at all, you know, you, you've, like I said, kicked out some great content aside from interviews. Um, just everything you've done. But before we get into that, I'm, I'm starting to get ahead of myself. And I do have some questions about everything that you're doing currently and recently. I want to take it back a bit. Um, this is for people that maybe either don't know a lot about you or know a lot about you with what you're doing now, but maybe not where you came from. So I was hoping maybe you could kind of, you know, just talk for a few minutes or however long you want to. We'll take Take me all the way back to little Mad Queen or maybe Mad Princess, maybe back then. I don't know. But, you know, just... Little Mad Queen, where you grew up, how you got into gaming, and and you know how you got to be where you are now. But start back when you when you were a kid. Where did you grow up? Well, I grew up 
half in Spain, half in Germany, in the south of, Ger of Germany. And I was born in Spain. And uh, how I got into gaming, that, uh, the funny story is that, uh, well, I, I come from a very middle, low-class family. And my family couldn't afford the console. So I used to babysit the, the kids of my neighbors for free if they had a console. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So I could play, I could play things uh, while, while, you know, I was taking care of the, of the kids because usually they have to go to sleep early. And then <laughs> from the time they go to sleep until the parents arrive that they want someone to be there, I was playing the console. And then when I, when I was older, I started to make my own money. Then I, I could afford one. <laughs> That's so funny. So you're pretty much babysitting, getting paid in game time. So you could go. Yes, and play. <laughs> yes. They adored it because I never said I never said specifically like that this was for the console reason. Like, oh no, you are very friends with my parents, and I, it would be ugly for me to you know <laughs> ask you for money. So no problem, I will do it for free. <laughs> oh yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> so well, they as as uh, as uh, they could go out more often because the babysitter was for free. I played more. <laughs> Nice. Where did what games were you into? You know, what console was that, and what games did you first oh, get into as a kid? Uh, it, it was a Nintendo, uh, the uh, the one with the first Mario. Mm -hmm. Which model was that? That and um, the other one had the Sega Mega Drive that I played Sonic. Oh, okay, yeah. So you you originally started with the original Nintendo with Mario Brothers. Nice. Okay, yes. and then, and then you got into uh, uh, Sonic Hedgehog, then uh, Sega. Yeah, well, I played so much Sony that one day I woke up with uh, with the mark of uh, the controller in my in my fingers. <laughs> so right. much play. I, I I dreamt with rings. Nice. <laughs> so I think we've all had that. I remember being a kid and having sore thumbs from playing Nintendo and stuff a lot. You know, staying up all night with friends and playing, and that's funny. Um, but yeah, so you started off with that and got into gaming. I love the fact that you know you you would pick up babysitting gigs just to get free game time um and also also i used i used to create my own games but they were super super simple simple games that were like uh pen and paper games in written adventures oh, really? and i programmed them in, in in those but it was like i i'm talking about i was like 11 12 so don't expect like a super big thing so I programmed small games that were I was I was a fan of books that are called Choose Your Own Adventure. Oh yeah, I love those. That, uh, you go to one page or, one, or another. So it was a story that depending on the decision you took, it took you to one place or to another. Oh yeah, no I love those. That's really cool that you did that. Uh so yeah. <laughs> but so even as 10 11 years old, you at least knew some basic, you know, DOS programming and stuff, huh? Yes. Uh, very very basic. I, I could I could do a couple of things. I could do I remade the the snake, oh, really? the game snake. Yeah, yeah. Been played on one now. <laughs> wow, that's pretty cool for a, you know a ten or eleven year old. I mean, I know you say it's basic, but I mean, I wasn't programming uh, little games and stuff when I was ten. You know, that's really cool. <laughs> well, the truth is that I started doing things very very young. Very. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I was fifteen, I was already working as a graphic designer. Oh wow! And uh, when I was like seven, I started learning photography because my mother was a very famous fashion photographer in Germany, and she she came to Spain because back in the day when when she came here, they were on um, you learn photography in fine arts, 
and there wasn't a specific career that was photography. So there wasn't people that were as specialized as people that came from abroad. So she came to Spain to work as a, as a fashion photographer. And then at some, at some point she decided to, to quit her career today to raise her family. But she still was passionate about photography. So what she did was uh, teaching me how to do it. And it was funny because, well, I learned how to develop my own, uh, my own pictures. And I remember when I was a kid, the, the lens of, uh, of the machine to develop, I don't know what, I don't remember what was the name in English. I remember grabbing the lens with my hands like this. And then years later, when I was an adult, I saw it and it was this big. Yeah. But for me, what it was like, yeah. like this when I learned when, when I learned how to do it. Yeah, that's really cool. That's awesome that you bring that up. Like I, I totally know what you mean. I've had things like that too that I remember as a kid, and they seemed so epic and whatever. And then you see it as an adult, and you're like, wow, this this really wasn't big or heavy or whatever it was. You know, you realize how small you were. Um, <laughs> it's really neat. So what if you started off? I mean, obviously you had a. I don't know, kind of an advanced childhood in that sense that you knew how to program, you're into graphic design, you already got a job as a graphic designer at 15, you know, you're all into that. What what got you into, you know, did you ever get into, I mean, I know you got into the video game stuff, we'll get into that in a minute, and, you know, got on YouTube, and, you know, that's where I think your claim to fame or how I heard of you was from was online and, and such, but prior to that, coming from, you know, playing video games at, at, for babysitting gigs, how did you progress? Did you get into any tabletop role-playing games, or was it strictly video games for oh, you along the way? Yes. yes, I played an insane amount of tabletop, especially Cyberpunk 2020 on Vampire Masquerade. Oh, okay, well, nice. Yeah, most of World, of World of Darkness, but the one that I liked the most was Vampire Masquerade. But I stopped I stopped in the second edition, because then the, the following ones, I didn't like them. The third, the third, I think it was horrible. The fourth, I, I had no interest, and the fifth, I think the fifth is the, the newest one, and I didn't even bother. I didn't I didn't like how they how they evolved the timeline. And I started with Cyberpunk twenty twenty when I was in high school. Wow. And uh, well, I also we tried to move to to the third edition, but um, well, <laughs> well, yeah, we tried, but we didn't we didn't like uh, we didn't like it a lot, so we kept playing Cyberpunk twenty twenty four for a long time. Yeah, I can but agree I with played that. A lot. I played Ars Magica, I played Akinare, I played Paranoia. Nice. Uh, I have a list of a lot of games <laughs> that I did. Dungeons and Dragons, Lord of the Rings. And, and did you stay in with you know stay into video games as well during your tabletop role playing? Uh, well, video games is more is more like a private thing to do because I'm not into multiplayer. So oh, okay. for me, video games is a pri private thing, and then tabletop is social. Okay. Cool. In fact, when I, when I was in high school, I I spent most of my free time learning to do how how to do things, because well, I I had a, a culture jam group, well, group we were too, and that's how we started designing things. And um, at that time, um, Macromedia was designing was designing the new um, what's the name of the program? I can't remember. That later Adobe bought it it's now what it is photoshop and, and freehand the, the program was freehand. Oh, okay now it's photoshop and illustrator so macromedia made groups of very young people that wasn't to design to give them ideas for the tools how to develop the, the design tools that they did back in the day macromedia was like the thing now it's adobe because they bought it mm -hmm. but i was into into these into these groups i also met a person that uh, helped me in my career later and um, I spent I spent most of the time learning how to do things, uh, learning how to use the programs, 
then I had some gigs in design, so I didn't have a lot of free time. So my, my only free time was playing pen and paper games. My only social time was playing pen and paper games. So that's the that's the memory that I have uh, mostly about Cyberpunk 2020. It was like like the time, the, my social time in high school. That's awesome. How did you get started with uh, Cyberpunk 2020? How did you get into it? Well, one day a friend of mine that was all game director came with uh, Cyberpunk 2020 and said, hey, I have a good a new game. Would you like to try it? Sure. Let's try it. What's, what's this about? Yeah, it's, it's uh, Cyberpunk in the future. Oh, yeah. So how, how did you... it was funny? It was funny because we got we got so much into it that when the Matrix was uh, was released, we went to the cinema, and uh, we filtered the film to understand it was it was about Cyberpunk twenty twenty. Like it's an runner that's called Neo. is <laughs> fighting against against Cyclops, and and we filtered all all the movie like it was like it was uh, an adaptation of Cyberpunk twenty twenty. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it fits well. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so what? It, how did you end up, you know, I can see, you know, how you got into Cyberpunk 2020 and that was kind of your favorite over the course of the other versions, obviously, over the years. Um, but then how did you end up, you know, because I see that you got on YouTube. I don't know which came first, you know, Cyberpunk uh, 2077 hype for you um, or the YouTube sort of stuff. Um, because the YouTube. Of, Okay, yeah, because I was going to say you've been on there for what, like about four years or more, but you kind of started doing, you know, promoting or giving breakdowns and, um, I don't know, videos about other video games like Fallout. I saw you did a bunch of those when you first started and then got into other games. Um, so how did you kind of get into YouTube and what kind of brought you there? That's that's a very, very, very funny story. So uh, I was, um, when I when I started on YouTube, I started as a hobby and I was an art director and uh, in a company working working for majors, Disney, Warner, and all that. And I just, I didn't like the job. I know, I, I did like the job, but uh, it was the, it wasn't creative. You had no creative freedom because mass market is, you have to always do a very typical things to sell it for as, as much people as possible. And also I had the problem in this company that the, uh, I sometimes felt like I was forced to do things. I just, I wasn't comfortable, ethically speaking. Oh. And uh, and uh, sometimes you get like like uh, trapped in the corporate wheel and uh, you move forward and you don't look at what you're doing and you don't look at the way you're treating people. And I just, I didn't like it. I, I, I felt very uncomfortable with that. And I was wondering what what could I do about it, and that probably I should look for another company to work, that maybe something that was more humble than working for big brands, but a company that I, I could respect more and that I that allowed me to take decisions that uh, that I could feel ethically comfortable. And I wanted to quit my job. And while I was thinking, what do I do? Do I quit? I don't quit. I had an accident visiting um, a provider that we had that we had when working in that company and it took me one year to be able to walk again so in this year i had a lot of time to think about my choices and uh, i i quit i quit the job and i was looking for another company and investigating the companies that made offers and uh, because well i uh, i had uh, in in my country i had a certain name as an, as an art director and also uh, as a photographer i uh, my biggest exhibition as photographer had like uh 
40,000 visitors. Wow. That. And I have a lot of awards and blah, blah, blah. And, um, and while I was, while I was so uh, that I couldn't walk, I stayed at home. I, I had my, my modest YouTube channel that I did, you know, to pass the time. And, uh, mostly about Fallout 4 because I, I got super obsessed with, uh, with the building part of the game. And at some point I, I, I made a video about, about, I believe it was Ghost in the Shell. And I was talking, oh, the, the Cyberpunk classic, blah, blah, blah. And at that point, I didn't know because I learned about uh, Cyberpunk 2077 very late. I didn't know the game was on the works. So I, um, I released this video about Ghost in the Shell. And um, my followers started asking, what's, what's this Cyberpunk thing? And I thought, well, I'm going to make a video talking about, you know, cyberpunk and uh, cyberpunk literature and cyberpunk films. So I wanted to start the video with a quote from Pat Cadigan. And I, I Googled it because I couldn't remember. And the typical thing that you start Googling it and you jump from one page to another. And suddenly on the top of my Google list, it said cyberpunk 2077. Yeah. And I thought, oh. There's a new installment of the pen and paper game. And I didn't know. That's super weird. And I answered, and then I saw the original teaser that they had. The one, you know, with, uh, with oh, the yeah. Psychoid on the stack. And I was like, I had to I had to watch it like five times in a row just to, to assimilate the fact that this was a video game based on Cyberpunk 2020. And that day, I didn't sleep. I mean, I, I, I spent mm-hmm. the night... Looking for news, learning everything about the game, learning what was going on, learning what did Mike Pondsmith think about it, because I know that he tried to adapt the the the, the pen and paper game to video game in the past, but he wasn't he wasn't happy with the options he was given, and the the uh, projects died. So well, I went crazy, and uh, and the next day I released the video to. Uh, talking about uh, everything we know about Cyberpunk 2077, but parallel to this, I was still looking for you know a company that I that I would love to to work with, and I kept talking about Cyberpunk and and explaining the lore. Like, listen to me, you're going to love this. You don't know it, but I'll explain to you. <laughs> and then people started to get interested about this universe, and suddenly I saw myself making money out of my YouTube channel which is something that I didn't expect. And at some point, I started to make enough to make a living. And I thought, well, why not? Because maybe, I mean, <clears throat> when you are on YouTube, you don't work directly for YouTube. It's true that YouTube kind of trying to force you to do bad things, like being clickbait, and they they award the people that, that is clickbait, let's be honest, and the people that, that like to create contro- controversies and such. But it's a place where I can take my own decisions. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can be wrong, but if I'm wrong, it's my responsibility. It's not because, you know, I'm following the orders of, of someone or because I feel like I have to do it. And I thought, well, it, it, I have this requisite. I can make a modest living, but I can make a living. So let's go with it. And this is how I started to be a professional YouTuber. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm glad you did. <laughs> and somebody, <laughs> somebody in here in the chat, too. And just so everybody knows in the live chat, if you have any questions... Uh, for Mad Queen, definitely put them there in the chat, and um, I'll try to get to all of them as we go. I've got a bunch of questions that I've been collecting from our community over the past, you know, week or so. Um, one of which I, I just wanted to mention was 
um, you know, what were your thoughts on the 20, when the 2077 teaser dropped? And I think you just kind of summarized that with, you didn't even sleep. You watched it a bunch of times <laughs> and then it just, you got obsessed. You started researching. So, so there you go. Uh, I think Eric, who asked that question, um, she didn't sleep. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah. And I was so, and I was so, so amazed that the European studio was, that was developing it because, uh, there's, um, there's a huge cultural difference between Europe and the States. And usually the cultural products, films and, and series that are made in Europe, not counting the ones in London that are inside the Hollywood machinery, but, you know, the continental Europe, usually are more crude. The, the European style is way more crude. And I thought it was fitting for Cyberpunk that it wasn't an American studio, but a continental European studio that developed the game. Yeah. I thought it, it, was go it was going to make it more interesting. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and also I see that uh, Harko in the chat when you were talking about how you couldn't, you know, stick with the job you had because it was felt immoral at times and things like that. And you left, he put in there, yeah, Mad Queen is not a corpo. So no, you're not an exec. <laughs> and and uh, uh, Game game Not Zine, I, I don't know if I'm getting that name right, Game No Design uh, said she's a total media. I would definitely agree. I think you're, a, you're, you're probably... <laughs> As Cyberpunk Red allows, you're multi-classing as a rocker boy media, maybe? <laughs> yeah, know. both people say that I'm either a rocker boy or a media. There you well, go. Actually, yeah. rocker boy and media are classes that are, that are, are very similar. It's, sometimes it's like the same class. Like rocker boys go for, you know, more like the feeling and going to the gut. And medias are like, okay, be smart and think I'm going to give you facts. Yeah, but, but you can make yeah, both are influencers. They're just, you know, sometimes one's a little more chaotic and anarchy style. Sometimes the other's a little more, you know, contrived and tactful with it, maybe. I don't know. And they can uh, both cross uh, There over. are a lot of medians that are very chaotic. That's I, think. I mean, Dr. Parra, for instance, I, I, I read on IMDb that he's going to be in Cyberpunk 2077. I was like, Dr. Paradox is like a secondary character in the background that is a crazy media that has a scream sheet that uh, makes conspiracy theories and he's a super fun character. <laughs> Yeah, that makes sense. What uh, back to when I was just talking about that, and we were kind of, you know, calling you a rocker boy media. Uh, you personally, what what role do you connect with the most? Whether twenty twenty or red or twenty seventy seven, whatever. Just in general, um, which is your favorite, you know, to play or to look into, and which do you think you relate with the most? Do you agree on that media rocker boy? Well, media rocker boy as a person, but as a player, my, my role is solo, has always been solo. Oh, wow. And my longest living character, that is a solo coral called Alice Cooper, who, by the way, appears in Cyberpunk Red, so it's canonical. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, I saw in that, the, uh, in the um, oh, I'm forgetting the name of it now, but the fake media site in the book where it says Mad Queens is one of the tabs. Yeah, yeah. That was great. Oh, yes. I mean, I have the Easter egg as the Mad Queen. But then Cooper is also there yeah, yeah. Like as a, a character. Yeah, very cool. <laughs> so what with the, with, you know, I know that you're heavily into the lore side of things. Um, you know, myself as a, you know, game master and running the brand, I'm more focused on like, you know, game master tips, the round table, these interview style things. Live gameplay is a big part of our brand. So I'm I'm heavily into like the rules. And when it comes to lore, like a lot of, game masters that are maybe getting into red and such you know i'll use the lore to kind of build aesthetics and a vibe but I'm, i won't incorporate all of it in because it, then it'll feel too contrived to the players like you're not going to meet everybody famous in in the world or whatever but i feel that because of that i've got a lot to learn about the lore like i read through it and stuff but i, I want to get more into it and i'm trying to you know learn more about it and that's where your videos i think are super helpful i love 
what you do with them all, especially like those fake ads. You made all those fake ads, right? Yes, yes, I, I did that. It was funny because originally I explained this idea of, uh, to Subsidian of the Triple S Lake. And uh, if, to ask him is if uh, he could, like, um, he's in the community of mod create creation. So he knows a lot of, of voice actors and actresses. And I uh, asked him, I wanted to ask him if uh, he may help me find people to narrate the ads. And he understood that I was going to make a, a, sort, a completely different thing. And I believe the first one that I did was the, uh, the Raven, Raven Microcybernetics. And I did this ad because it was the shirt that Martin Ivinsky and Mike Pondsmith were wearing the first time that uh, Cyberpunk 2077 was introduced. Oh, okay. And then the tagline of the commercial is what the, the shirt the shirt said. And using footage of, of those eggs and uh, other things and uh, mm -hmm. to create to create like the atmosphere. And it, it's it's funny. I need to continue. I I stopped I stopped doing them. But I, I need them, to continue yeah. to make more. Yeah, I would love you to make more. You know, they're not just entertaining for what they are. Like I love that stuff, like in the uh, Dark Horse um, world art book and in the red core book, like I love when they put those fake ads in there about different things, whether it's hiring a lawyer or a certain type of kibble or whatever. Um, but I love how you've, you know, did one for like almost each corporation and like, uh, weapons stuff. I don't know. I just, I love those. I definitely encourage you make more, uh, game masters. I think that would love them. It's very helpful. And I want to start, um, rocking them in the game to my players to like you know mix them in with scream sheets. I think they're awesome. Um, but when it comes to lore, well, I need to I need to learn a little, a little bit more about new corporations on twenty seventy seven and what they do. Oh yeah, but you have a uh, you know you have the advanced red and you can see all the ones leading into it and then uh, you know some of the mentions in that dark horse world book. But yeah, I'm sure there's going to be a lot more coming up. You know, with twenty seventy seven, obviously. But about the lore, I wanted you to kind of I want to just talk a little bit about that stuff. And just maybe uh, get you to chat about it for just a moment, because some of the questions that I got from the community, one of which was like, you know, how would I, you? I hope that, that just a moment doesn't doesn't is no. not a question about explain the whole universe. Yeah, yeah. If you because could. Last time, last time that someone last time that someone asked me that on stream, I spent literally three hours talking. No, no, no. This won't be like you know, st start at twenty twenty, end at twenty seventy seven, break it down. <laughs> no, no, it won't be like that. No, oh, this, well, yeah. this will I be. I can start in the 80s if you want. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, start in 1988 and let's uh, work our way up. But let's. Uh, no, this is a little more specific. Um, something in particular. How would you summarize or describe Johnny Silverhand to like people that don't know him? And the reason I'm asking is because I, I see a lot of controversy on him being an awesome hero. And then maybe not so much. And you hear like how Mike describes him as like, quote unquote, not not a very nice person, you know, so like I've heard that. I'm curious if you can give your opinion and then maybe give a little summarization or breakdown for maybe people that don't know a lot about Johnny Silverhand. Well, I, I just I laughed like like a maniac when I heard in one of the trailers, we saying we uh, referring to Johnny Silverhand as a terrorist. And I thought, yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. I believe that this is the word. But it's very typical about... Uh, this is something that is horrifying, but a lot of people do in real life, which is believing that someone is a good person just because they are charismatic. And when someone is charismatic, it's horrifying how people around them, uh, the, the mental gymnastics that they are capable of doing to justify the bad things that this charismatic person do. And that's the thing about Johnny Silverhand. Well, he started as a, as a soldier. He 
fought in the second Central American conflict. And uh, during this war, a uh, media star called Tesla Johansson uncovered some secret uh, NSA transcripts and uh, published them. So it was public what really happened with this war, because it was supposed to go to do to to be because to, you know to protect America from communism and to stop the influx of drugs on the states, but there were there were dark and political reasons, and uh, Tesla Johansson uncovered it. So a lot of soldiers deserted. One of them, Johnny Silverhand, and he was he was super impressed about the 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 job of the media's, and he thought he wanted to do something similar, and he had some talent in music, so he formed the band Samurai, and uh, basically. He did the same. He did the same thing. It's funny because, uh, well, he was some sort of rage against the machine, but only on the outside. You know, Tom Morello is a person that is really involved politically, mm -hmm. but Johnny Silverhand was not. Johnny Silverhand, for instance, was in The Long Walk. The Long Walk is uh, an event. It's one of the, the most important events in the law of the nomads. Because the government wanted to get rid of the homeless of America, that most of them became nomads, and send 600,000 to, to fight in the, in the Second Central American conflict. And when the war ended, they left them there. <laughs> yeah. So they had to walk all the way to the States by foot. And when they were in Mexico, they, they stumbled upon, upon Best Isis that was interviewing, he, he was there interviewing a band called Justifiable Homicide, but also Johnny Silverhand and the squad that helped him attack Arasaka to rescue Al Cunningham. And uh, while, while the band Justifiable Homicide, they did what they could and they, they tried to provide food to, to, the, to the nomads and tried to provide you know, way, ways to help them go to the States, Johnny did nothing. Nothing. And in fact, it's very funny because people remember the Arasaka riot and confuse us sometimes with the attack of to the towers, which are two different events. One happened in 2013 and the second in, in 2023. So in 2013, uh, the girlfriend of, of Johnny Silverhand was an runner called Al Cunningham. She was kidnapped by Arasaka, well, extracted. So, but because they wanted her to, to develop one program that she invented, but in a weaponized version, which is the Soul Killer. So uh, Al Cunningham developed the Soul Killer, and while she was doing it, she took control of the net of uh, Arasaka, killed everybody except one, stole millions from Sabur Arasaka, and she, she had everything under control. She was going to kill the last one, return to her body, and then go home. But Johnny Silverhand thought that he wanted to be the hero, so he went to rescue her, thinking that, well, she needs my help. That she didn't. So she, he, he organized a concert to create a distraction and used the people attending the concert to attack the Arasaka security officers that were guarding the, the complex. So he sent them to die, basically. Yeah. It's a miracle that only 18 people died because he sent thousands. And this is a distraction, and then he he reached where Al Cunningham was. He saw her body separated for, from her, her engram because she was inside the mainframe, and she hadn't he had no idea what was going on and picked the body and left, killing Al Cunningham. So Johnny Silverhand killed Al Cunningham. Right. <laughs> and uh, the thing is that that he uses charismatic leadership to send people to die. That's not very a very nice person. And then again, in the attack to the Arasaka Towers, because he he hated Arasaka for what they did. 
actually they yes they kidnapped Al Cunningham, but she had everything under control. And I <clears throat> and I guess that Johnny hated Arasaka because he didn't want to admit the fact that he killed her. Right. So then in 2023, when Militech wanted to attack the Twin Towers to destroy the Soul Killer Labs, there was this briefing where it was explained what was going to happen. And it was ex explained that the, the, team, the team of Militech that was going to infiltrate the towers carried with them a mini-nuke, a mini-nuke to destroy the Soul Killer Labs that uh, killed a uh, half million people in another quarter in the aftermath later. So Johnny Silverhand was okay with detonating a mini-nuke in the middle of the city. What can go wrong? Probably he didn't expect half a million people to die, but what can go wrong? So what kind of person is capable of doing that and feeling justified because he has a thing against Arasaka? Not a very nice person. He's a terrorist. He has uh, personal motives. He pretends that... Um, the, the person, the character that described Johnny Silverhand the best was um, Rage Bartmos. is my favorite character. Rage Bartmos is the ex-runner that is most against mega corporations than anyone. His life was devoted to destroying mega corporations, but really, he was really crazy. And he hated Johnny Silverhand. He hated him because he said that Silverhand is not very different from mega corporations because both tell people what to think for their own gain, mm -hmm. not, you know, for a greater good. No, no. He pretends he has a greater good, but this is only something that he uses to manipulate people. In the end, everything is personal for him, and he's not thinking about the greater good. He's thinking about the good for, for himself. And it's funny because, well, now in the, in the video game, it's going to be Ken Reeves, and Ken Reeves is a person that has a certain image. Right. There's a very few films in which he is actually a real asshole, like, you know, in Neon Demon, he is like a horrible character, but usually he's the typical anti-hero that is nice, is a very good person and is ready to sacrifice himself for others. And he has this charisma and also the same way as Johnny Silverhand, he creates this image in which people are not going, are going to try their best to not believe in all the horrible things he did. Right. Now, that's so well put. And you're so right, too, about, you know, extremely charis charismatic, narcissistic style people that will almost, you know, people will go through mental gymnastics just to justify um, the support because they're impressed with that charisma or, what, or you know, the, the tactics of someone that can be narcissistic. And I think that's so well put because there's definitely people that kind of debate both sides. I've seen it online, but with recent lore kind of coming about and maybe the help of some of your videos, I see more people kind of seeing the truth behind it and what happened and they're kind of seeing him for what he was. And also you mentioning Keanu Reeves. It's funny. Um, that's another thing that I see in, in, in a lot of conversations is how, you know, Keanu Reeves is, um, like you said, the, the kind of anti-hero, hero-style character in in movies but he's always kind of that the good guy right and in real life keanu reeves is actually a super nice guy and very you know just a good-hearted person and then he's he's being attached you know as that actor and as the big name into it into this johnny silverhand who's almost like you said a bit of a terrorist it's kind of crazy um but I love it. I think it's 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 so interesting. And one of the things you mentioned too about like, for instance, the nuke bomb and the way that everything went down and, and what Johnny did. Um, how do you feel when it comes to like Arasaka versus Militech? Because I see a lot of debate there as well. And for me personally, 
like it, it, over the years, I'm more of a fan of like Arasaka than I am Militech. I see like the Militech aligning with Crest kind of, you know, the president stopping voting ability. It just seemed very, uh, you know, oh, we're anti-communist, but we're going to kind of control the country or sort of vibe. You are, you are confusing two different things of the law. Okay, yeah, break that down and explain that. And then tell me and then tell me about the Arasaka versus Militech sort of debate. The president ending the elections was uh, well was Jonathan Seward, but it was changed in Cyberpunk Red because the, the part of the collapse was rewritten, and in the in what now is the canonical law was uh, Harold Hunt, but the martial law was uh, proposed by the Secretary of Defense Jonathan Seward, but this happened, I mean the the, the martial law was lifted in two thousand and four, so. I mean, that's uh, that's uh, years and years ago. And Militech didn't side with the government. The government nationalized Militech during the, the fourth corporate war. Mm-hmm. Militech was killing a lot of a lot of people in the states, and there was a lot of pressure, a, a lot of pressure to <clears throat> for the president Elizabeth Crest to do something about it. And once she did, it was nationalized in Militech. Oh, okay, okay. And um, and she wanted um, when the, when the attack of the towers happened. Arasaka was in the was controlling Night City. Was uh, Night City was called Arasakaville, and uh, he demanded the uh, governor of uh, North California, a lady called Denise de la Vega. He demanded to Denise de la Vega some protection, and uh, if if she didn't comply, he would release the soul killer on the population of Night City. And as the governor didn't like the idea, what she did was authorizing Elizabeth Crest to send in a division of the U.S. military forces because uh, North California is a free state. It doesn't belong to the United States and Night City is some sort of city-state. So it's not like the states could send the army without the permission of the governor of North California. And um, the United States sent sent their army, but a lot of the assets belong to military because now it was nationalized. But the thing is that this attack to the towers wasn't from the from the the military of the states was the idea of Militech Militech. But the thing is that it was thought that Morgan Blackhand was a double agent. Morgan Blackhand is the solo of Militech mm-hmm. and the solo of solos. And it is thought that he was informing President Kress of everything. So basically it seems that President Kress allowed a mini nuke to explode in Night City. Because she was expecting all this devastation to help her uh in exchange to help rebuild Night City and North California to to regain control of the free state and then, you know, annexing it again again to the, the federal government. What I think about Militech and Arasaka, well, my longest living character, Alice Cooper, was killed by a Militech garrison, so I'm incredibly biased. <laughs> <laughs> but as um, Ara- Arasaka are way more interesting. The fourth corporate war wasn't as much military uh, against Arasaka that it was Sabura Arasaka against Donald Lade, and they were measuring they were measuring the decks because Sabura Arasaka was considered considered to be the most powerful man on earth, and uh, Lade wanted this position. And the moment the moment they saw the chance, they started to to fight each other to a point that when Otek and Sino reached an agreement, they kept fighting like. They were the reason to start the war. You should stop. You should stop now. But yeah, they they kept fighting. But uh, I prefer as a mega corporation. At Asaka, I find it way more interesting because uh, it's a soap opera. <laughs> the, yeah. All the family. family you look at the like daughter, his daughter, and everything. Yeah, I agree. I think it has more uh, soap opera drama to it. 
Yeah, Melotech is is much simpler. It's a, it's a general and, and an arms designer, and then and uh, when when Melotech got nationalized, they separated the company of Lucchesi, the arms designer, and it was only Landy. And in twenty seventy seven, it's it's directed by someone called Landy Junior. So I guess that uh, they're, they're family. But Arasaka is like uh, is like dynasty. Arasaka is like din- dynasty, and and you know Arasaka that yeah. he's his father and founded the Steel Dragons, and and Hanako that is a net runner. You know, is a rocker boy, and I believe that it it gives full you know uh, a lot of interesting subplots in here. Oh yeah, no, most definitely. And somebody, I think somebody in the chat there, I don't know who who mentioned it, but I read it just a, a minute ago when we were talking about this. Um, saying that, yeah, Mad Queen has a, a base knowledge of cyberpunk of 17. Um, so I, I can totally agree. She's up there. She's surpassing uh, a 10, I would say, in red. She's got that that uh, cyberpunk education lore up past 20 somehow with uh, chips actually, and actually, <laughs> My biggest prides in life is that Mike Pondsmith asked, asked me to supervise, proofread the low parts of cyberpunk red. Yeah. To find uh, inconsistencies with the previously canonical lore. Yeah, th- uh, that's actually one of the questions uh, from the community too. I was going to ask, which is, you know, how did you feel about being approached um, to kind of help with that? You know. Well, I mean, uh, I've been I've been collaborating with Salsorian for long, because well, when I started, Salsorian had a different community manager that never answered questions, and at some point they put Jay. And Jay is a lovely person. is 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 a super lovely person, and he answered law questions as well because he knows a lot a lot about the law. And I want I want to make the questions you know the, the little details in here, because a lot of the law is is explained in a way that is open to interpretation. And sometimes I wanted to know what was considered to be the canonical interpretation, and we started mm-hmm. uh, to make longer and longer chats about the law. And at some point, we said. We should make a podcast and talk about this on camera because people may want to know. And we started doing a, a weekly podcast on Fridays. It was like all, all private conversations, but yeah. in public, talking about the law. And yeah, at some point, at some point, they asked me to to take a look. I, I already um, helped in the beta testing of the rules in earlier state earlier stages of Cyberpunk. Red and testing the combat, the bike combat, yeah, regular combat, the uh, character creation, all that. And I make I make Cyberpunk Red games for people on Patreon, and uh, we were in on those games. We were testing all all the the new the new rules for Cyberpunk Red, and uh, well, they said, well, proof reading, yeah, proof reading of the law. And I have pages and pages of comment. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, we talked about uh, gameplay and, and possibly getting you into uh, some one-shots or playing again, too. Um, I'm looking forward to that. We need to chat about that a little bit more after after this interview. But um, Well, be careful because Cyberpunk 2077 is about to be released. I know. So there- my, I'm, it's going to be difficult for me even to make my games. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what people in the chat were mentioning too uh, a while back, saying that next week they're probably gonna have no free time left or something along those lines. Like, 
Um, now I can definitely see it when 2077 drops. I think a lot of people are going to be MIA for a while. Um, we're not going to see them around or just streaming, you know, the game and that's about it. Um, but back to the lore stuff, one thing I wanted to kind of pick your brain at or at least have you talk about, um, and I've done this with some of the guys that are Talsorian, but it's still one of those kind of things that I don't think they dive too heavily into this side of the lore or enough, uh, maybe in, in the time of Red anyways, there's a lot of questions about the police presence and just general like authoritative figures like the lawmen when it comes to you know, Night City as a total, and then also individual districts and kind of how it's handled. Because we know in the time of the Red, it's very, you know, build rebuilding the city, everyone's getting back into it. Um, and there's just a lot of turmoil and neocorps and people kind of fighting to get elbow room to start their position. And because of that, these districts are very separated. The combat zone's much larger, but even into districts, not just like an old combat zone, but actual you know, other districts now it's reached out to. But how do you envision or how, what have you learned about when, when it comes to the police presence and authorities in Night City? Well, the, the funny thing about, about the lawmen is that it's every kind of police, uh, including the, the law enforcement division and the corporate police. But the thing, about, the thing about the time of the Red is very interesting, what happened with police. Because on the one hand, Arasaka was forbidden to do any, any activity in, in continental America. It was vanished, and the government seized their assets. That was very smart. So that's one force less. And also, uh, Militech now belonged to the uh, to um, to the army of the states. And at the same time, just uh, right after the bomb, I mean, all the city services collapsed with them. The Night City Police Department, and this mini nuke also displaced a lot of people to towns adjacent to Night City that were abandoned during the collapse and were somewhere reoccupied. But uh, they weren't, uh, you know, like like real cities with the police. Most they were oc- occupied by mega corporations that had, you know, uh, laboratories and, and factories and such. And people started to live there, what, however they could. But the uh, the Night City Police Department, they didn't have enough hands to reach everywhere. And even the Psycho Squad was attending like like regular police. The uh, the boss of the Psycho Squad, Hammerman made his personal crusade protect innocence in Night City. But they couldn't reach everywhere, so the city council hired uh, Lazarus to give a little bit more of security to the city. But still, the important people is the one with money, and um, poor people be damned. This also, this also meant a very important thing, which is the evolution of booster gangs from 2020 to 2077. Because the Valentinos are a booster gang that changed a lot. In the 20s, they were just a poster gang. that were, They were named after a, an Italian-American actor called Rodolfo Valentino that is considered to be the first sex symbol in the history of cinema. And uh, this can tell you what, what did they have in mind. I mean, they were a booster gang that were only interested in sleeping with people, and that's pretty much it. And at some point, when this collapse of the Night City Police Department happened, they started to be the ones who, to, who took care of the, of the communities and uh, they turned into a vigilante booster gang, the type they are in 2077. Also, another <coughs> new vigilante booster gang started to appear, like the Sixth Street. Sixth Street, yeah. That were uh, f- uh, former soldiers that participated in the Fourth Corporate War. That, at the beginning of their history, in the time of the Red, they wanted to protect people, but they, it all evolved into 2077. They were the typical bullies that I will protect you for money, 
Meaning, either you pay for my protection or I'll kill you. Mm-hmm. And so, lovely people, lovely people. And how this is very interesting because because a lot of booster gangs evolved into vigilante booster gangs just because the police couldn't handle everything. Yeah, no, I, I definitely get the vibe. Like when we run red, very similar similar to that, where there are these sort of. Um, guardian angel style gangs like you would see back in the day in like new york and big cities here in the states there's these people called the guardian angels that are you know they roam the subways and stuff they wear their red berets and they protect innocent people from other real gangs and bad people you know and it reminded me of that with like sixth street and valentino's like everything that you mentioned where it's like that but i picture that more in the districts that are combat zone heavy or involved like in that new night city map in red you know the parts that are more red but when it comes to like little Europe and, um, you know, maybe more of the nicer parts of Night City or something along those lines, you know, the parts in that map that are like the shades of green, right? I picture those more with like district security or private hired uh, by the district uh, representatives or councils of the city or something along those lines because I don't picture so much in the nicer areas. Um, being protected by even good gangs as as much. But again, it's very open to GM, you know, interpretation and however you want to build your world and lore and stuff. But how do you picture all that, you know, not just based on what you've read and learned in lore and how you imagine, but also like on a personal level, how do you picture Night City when it comes to the nice districts versus the combat zone districts? Well, in, in the nice districts, I imagine Lazarus taking care of, of the security because they can't afford, even if it's by making a pool with the neighbors, <laughs> that one day and the neighborhoods, neighborhoods protected. And the poor people just do what they can. And usually when people do what they can, they end up either joining a gang and if they have enough initiative, creating their own, like happened with the Sixth Street. Even though in Cyberpunk Red, it's not explained exactly in what part of Night City do you have the different gangs. It's something that you can create yourself, like uh, cut and paste. I like this gang here. I like the the other gang here, and that's that's uh, what I do when I when I direct when I direct the games. Usually, gangs have their turf, and they are protective of their of their turf. And if you are not in good terms with them, maybe you shouldn't set foot in that district. Yeah. Uh, makes perfect sense real world and in the role-playing game world you know (laughs) it's just how it is um yeah when it comes to uh you know a lot of these tabletop gaming uh communities and sites you see a lot now we're using the virtual tabletops whether like roll 20 and fantasy grounds there's there's a bunch of different ones online and different versions and the virtual tabletop you know you can get through steam and and different options how do you see and, and a lot of this started obviously because of the quarantine um, you know, when that, that started, a lot of people stopped playing at home with friends or local shops and everybody started getting online. How do you feel about all that? And also, how do you see the future of, uh, of gaming, whether online or in person and stuff? Well, on the one hand, I do, I do my, my Cyberpunk Red games on Roll20. I was a little surprised because past Saturday we had a game and they had to introduce their new characters of Cyberpunk Red. But no one made the Cyberpunk Red character sheet yet. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, I hope that <clears throat> for the next game they uh, someone someone uploaded it. But yes, I I like I like the fact that it makes the game uh, more dynamic because you don't need to you know throw dice and count. You simply click and you have uh, the the resolution even with modifications. 
And this is a thing that, for instance, in Cyberpunk Red, they try to make it to make it shorter by removing the stat in the role when it comes to net running, mm-hmm. and um, which I find a little weird. But well, I understand. I understand that this is a question about uh, you know throwing dice and counting because you have a lot of variables when when net running. But it's it's different. The good thing about doing it online is that, that you can play with people that is on all corners of the world, really. Which is something that obviously physically you cannot do. But people that <clears throat> is into into tabletop physically won't stop doing it because this is a social thing. It's like when when all the streaming services started and you can watch Netflix at home, people didn't stop going to the cinema. People stopped because it's expensive. Right. But didn't totally stop because cinema is not only about watching a film, it's a social activity with your friends. And it's the same with with tabletop games. People won't stop won't stop playing with their friends in, in local in tables because it's not only the game, it's like on the pizzas you order and uh, the the pre and the post game. And well back in the day while your net runner was not running and you were like oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I believe uh, I believe that uh, there's uh, the tools online go great, go great to find, especially for a lot of people because I'm seeing this. Um, usually, well, I come I come from the times I feel super old when I say that, from the times that, well, you had you had your your gaming squad, and you tried all the games, but how do you, you you didn't want to be introduced in pen and paper games until you met people that played. And that became your squad. Mm-hmm. Now it's different because a lot of people is uh, is uh, acquiring some taste and some interest for for the cyberpunk pen and paper games from the video game, not from oh, people yeah. that play pen and paper. And they and they super lost. Like, where do I go to play this? And it's interesting that they can do it online because actually, Roll Twenty has a lot of open open games for people that wants to start playing cyberpunk twenty twenty red or whatever other game. And this is also a good thing to for people to allow to start playing pen and paper games, because in physical you may not know where to go. Oh yeah, no, most definitely. I think, and especially, you know, quarantine or not, like you said, it's limited. You're you're either playing with friends you already know, or you've got to meet new friends to be able to play. Like you may go to like a game shop and look at a bulletin board, and the rare chance you'll find one you can join. You know. Or you'll go to a site like Meetup and try to find like a local game game that you can join, or the local shop where you got to pay the GM to play. It's a little different, and I miss you know getting together with friends in person. Like like you said, there's more of a social um, thing with that. That's even I mean, and don't get me wrong, online playing is social too. I enjoy it, and a lot of people do. But in person, yeah, it's about you know the food, the snacks, the conversation, the pre-talk and the post-talk, and it's just I don't know, it's fun. But I agree with you also that man the the online roll 20 and just being kind of i don't know forced into that online aspect of gaming due to the quarantine has almost been a blessing in disguise because i've met so many great players and gms and came across other streams and just all kinds of content and things that maybe i wouldn't have looked for if i was still playing at home and just satisfying my cyberpunk needs that way and you know what i mean like it kind of got me to see that there's a bigger community out there, and I was able to meet more people that way, and I think that's really awesome. Um, In the states, you have to pay to join the games of the shops. Oh yeah, there's there's a lot of uh, you know pay to play sort of scenarios. You know, you'll at a lot of the local shops, they'll have like their weekly game night, and it, you know it's not expensive or anything. It'll be like five bucks 
you know, or 10 bucks and you get to play for a few hours and stuff. And a lot of people do it because there's just not a lot of um, options for people sometimes where depending on where they live, you know. Um, But but yeah, I think online has kind of cured a lot of that and it's opened up a lot of doors to more gaming opportunities and meeting more people in the community. I, I really love it. Although playing online for me personally has the difficulty of interpretation because it's not the same doing camera on camera than on person and talking to the person. Yeah, that's true sometimes. Unless, you, you know, like I try to, uh, in, in a lot of gyms, you know, try to like animate and get into it and like, you know, show the maps on the screen through Roll20 and things like that. But but I do agree. There are certain little nuances and things that like in person kind of carry over much better, you know? Hmm. Yeah. Where do you see, uh, you know, the future of cyberpunk in general? Like, you know, you come from the 2020 and the tabletop and you've seen what happened with Red. You saw the first hype video for 2077. You know the video game's coming. We see how they keep reaching different milestones um, on Red uh, through drive-through, through orders. And you see the video game with the pre-sales. Like, it just, it it keeps growing. It's going to be huge. Where do you see it going after that? Do you see, like, you know... uh, the online multiplayer for the video game or, you know, uh, other storylines kind of that you can download and add to it or maybe getting into VR or, I don't know, where do you see the future of Cyberpunk? Well, for me, it's crystal clear that Zelda Project Red is going to milk the cow as much as they can. And we could see that because we saw a lot of uh, a lot of um, merchandise a lot around the video game without a video game which is, I found it super funny. And also Mike Pondsmith said that at one point he was going to do a, a Cyberpunk 2077 pen and baby game. And I'm sure that Cyberpunk 2077 is not going to be the last game because it's surely going to sell a lot. Well, obviously we have Cyberpunk Online. I don't know what they're going to do with this game of a service idea. Obviously an RPG that... Um, has some complexity when it comes to, you know, digital video game, not tabletop RPG, because uh, on tabletop you have the game director that it's constantly creating new games, and there is not not enough technology to have an artificial intelligence creating the games for you. Mm-hmm. Although it would be interesting in, if in the future that was there was technology in, what, in, in which there were elements that were self-generated, procedural mm-hmm. it's called, in, in a way that uh, it, it would create quests and would create uh, uh, scenery in a procedural way and uh, working working like this, like creating new stories all the time. I don't know if this is even possible, but yeah, Cyberpunk Online or whatever the name it has, it's uh, it's going to be th- it's, it's thought about like a game as a service. So it's thought like uh, your, your campaign of Cyberpunk in which you play for two years every Saturday a new adventure. Um, well, I mean, they took seven years to develop Cyberpunk 2077. It's supposed that after that comes the fourth game in the Witcher universe. So go figure when when the ne- the next Cyberpunk game is going to you know going to be in the horizon. Yeah. But uh, they they wanted Cyberpunk bought the whole IP for a reason to milk it. <laughs> Yeah, no. and I'm sure that this is what they are going to do. Obviously, to do so, they have to create a great game. Let's see what happens next week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I think I agree with you 100. percent They put so much time and effort and energy into this, and you just—I mean, it just looks so badass and dynamic. I, I agree with you. I think that they're going to milk that for a, a while, and I hope they do. I hope it's as great as it seems it's going to be, and we can all milk it for a while and enjoy it for as long as we can. You know. Um, hmm. 
Let's see. Uh, I just want to make sure I don't miss any questions in the live chat before we kind of start wrapping this up. Um, hope we see some more movies and TV shows that are cyberpunk based. Um, oh, and that's from my, uh, we do an ongoing uh, live gameplay every week on Tuesdays. We're getting ready to move that to Wednesdays, but that is Daniel. He plays our Netrunner. Um, but yeah, he was just saying, hoping to see a lot more cyberpunk based TV shows and movies. What do you think about that? I mean, we, we know that animated series is going to be coming out on Netflix in the near future. Well, we saw some sort of re. Thirteen of cyberpunk as general we have, we saw altered carbon mm-hmm. we saw uh mr robot that actually is very cyberpunk and uh even parts of love death and robots i think had a very yes. cyberpunk feel to it but uh yes if cyberpunk as a general is uh, on style again i'm sure we're going to see more 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 series and more features but yeah. uh <clears throat> it's not. It's not only Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. I believe that. Uh, well, they forecasted well, because it all started, you know, with the uh, synthwave uh, movement, and all the love of the eighties, and then the cyberpunk films and the cyberpunk books of the eighties, and Tron and all that, and it kind of merged, merged with uh, Superstar, like Ken Reeves participating in a video game yeah. that is massive and. Uh, Everybody's talking about cyberpunk, so yes, they even they even did a porn film, which was expectable, I guess. But uh, also, I expect that the the Edge Runner series is is very successful. But I'm sure that we're going to we're going to see how cyberpunk as a genre comes back again. But it need, it needs some rewritten, it needs some advancement because uh, cyberpunk was a speculation from the eighties. And on a political level, a lot of things. Pondsmith nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> he had a time machine, and uh, a lot of videos that I do talking about the politics of cyberpunk. A lot of people said, "Are you talking about the game or the current politics?" Well, right. I guess it's the game. I mean, it's the game. It looks a lot like uh, the world nowadays, except for the cyberware and the flying cars. <laughs> oh, I agree, a hundred percent. I get demonetized a lot because YouTube doesn't like people talking about politics. And I get demonetized a lot because the artificial intelligence that uh, the algorithm of YouTube that decides so can't tell the difference. Yeah. Oh, no, I totally agree. I, there, you know, what was that article or interview that Mike put out and said, you know, this isn't a game. It's a, a prediction. I forget how they worded it. And I was like, oh, my God, that's so true. Like, speculation. This called speculation fiction. Yeah. And it's it, what? All uh, science fiction is always a speculation, and uh, that is special uh, speculation of cyberpunk is always dark and grimy. And the uh, well, he made he made a very very dark speculation, way darker than, than William Gibson. That he's the most famous, but not yeah. he's not the best. I mean, not not even close. And uh, but Mike Pondsmith was darker, especially when it comes to politics and when it comes to not only ruled by mega corporations, but the interest of different forces and people in the middle going to from one way to the other. And this is something that uh, needs needs a revision in the sense that, for instance, in the eighties, the internet just started, and the ideas of how the, what the internet was going to become were just ideas. Now we saw what it become. Mm-hmm. So we need to, you know, it, it needs an evolution in the in the sense of technology. What is going on nowadays? Instead of doing some sort of retro fantasy in which you still have fax machines like in the eighties, yeah. think about where are now and project 
from now and create a new speculative fiction because a lot of things a lot of things changed also socially (coughs) no definitely and i think that's a that's a good point too like when it comes to gms that kind of um i don't know make up their own world building within cyberpunk when it comes to the tabletop role-playing game i love that rtg kind of promotes you know make it your own elaborate on that you know they always put things like that within the rules and and lore um for game masters and i think that's important because like you said it's you know, a lot of cyberpunk vibe and kind of where it was founded has almost a retro 80s cyber wave vibe to it, even though it is futuristic. It has that old school, I don't know, 80s aesthetic to it, you know? And I think when it comes to like the technologies and cyberware and weapons and kind of where things go, um, there's there's a lot of room for interpretation and kind of, I don't know, interjection of your own invention and creativity when it's a, as a game master. I think that's important. Um, but back to the, the TV and movie stuff. Um, before, before you go you go to this, I find very interesting that Cyberpunk 2077, instead of being retro of the 80s, is retro of the 90s. Yeah, yeah. No, it's stepping up. <laughs> you know, in, in, yeah, there's... It's like, well, evolution, evolution. Let's go back to grunge mm-hmm. and mix it with, you know, with uh, with with glam, basically. Oh, grunge yeah. with glam. And it's it's a very interesting combination. I'm looking forward to to know uh, to learn more about the styles of Cyberpunk inside the game. Oh yeah, me which too. also influences what I mean. I, I this is the part that usually I uh, well I I've been an art director for long, and uh, that this is the part that I like investigating in video games. That's why I love Horizon Zero Dawn. That oh. was a a lesson in art direction for video games to come. Oh nice. No, I definitely see in. Not to age myself too much, you know, uh, but like it's definitely that sort of, I don't know, spectrum of retro or what it is at your 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 moment in a timeline where like I remember, you know, back in the day there was like 70s parties and then 80, 80s themed nights at like every club that would do 80s. And then as I got older and like I've actually seen like 90s nights, you know, and things like that happen over the years. So it's definitely like, go, you know, it still has retro appeal and what's popular but it seems to be like within that 10 to 20 year mark and goes up or whatever now 2077 having that you know retro 90s feel that's a wide gap and stuff but it's also i think what's within grasp grasp when it comes to reality you know they're kind of pulling reality lore vibe into this fantasy world that they've created just like they pull some of real life 80s aesthetics into cyberpunk when it was created you know um but I did want to mention, like, back to, like, film and TV. Um, one thing that I've talked about with a few other creators and even some people from RTG, and, I, and I've said it numerous times, I feel that just like when D&D streamlined their mechanics with 5th edition and then it kind of started blowing up in popularity, I think because it was more easily digestible for the masses, they had a bigger marketing plan. You started seeing it featured on things like Stranger Day or Stranger Things and... uh um, South Park and Big Bang Theory. It was in some movies. You would see like actual D and D play and Fifth Edition book reference things and whatever. Um, and then celebrities started streaming online. It just, I mean, it blew up and it got huge and popular, and that's great. Um, I kind of have seen that building or the predecessing of I don't know those plans or however you want to word it, leading up to Cyberpunk in the same way that where. I think when it comes out, we're going to see, because of the video game, we're, we're hitting on multi-platforms of entertainment. It's not just a tabletop, but they're coming out with that animated series. Like you said, Altered Carbon and things have kind of been building up the hype of cyberpunk genre in general. But I think the streamlining of Red, 
is making it more popular, more e easily digestible to the masses. The video game is going to blow up and get lots of attention. I think with that, we're going to see whether the video game or tabletop featured on more TV shows and movie stuff and references the same way we have with D&D over the years. And I think more celebrities are going to get into it, just like you see like uh, Matthew Lillard and different people playing with Mike on streams and stuff. I think we're going to get more of that. And that we're going to kind of hit this, I don't know, section of time or big popularity wave for the cyberpunk genre, just like we saw with D&D when they hit 5th edition. Do you see that kind of happening as well? Well, it's been an evolution because back in the day, being a nerd was like an insult. And it became trendy. It became trendy with, uh, with the creation of the Marvel Universe for, for us black blockbusters. And the films that are based on comic books, of, on, on very old comic books. And, so, and uh, slowly, slowly being a nerd is something that it's uh, become trendy. Big Bang Theory, that is a series about nerds, became super popular. And I believe that this is what later developed into into Dungeons and Dragons, which is like the pen and paper game, being featured in in series and and being mentioned because of that, because being nerd and uh, is becoming trendy. Also, the popularity of video games right now is not like it was back in the day. <clears throat> the good thing about that is that uh, there are so many video games developed that you can allow yourself to be picky and just play some specific genres if you want and you don't stop player playing you always have video games to play and uh, cyberpunk cyberpunk red is not only <coughs> excuse me it's not only a matter of how Tosurian makes the marketing a lot of people doesn't even uh, i mean they they know that 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 uh, 77 is based on a tabletop game but that doesn't mean that they you know uh go in to play it but now that uh, being a nerd is more accepted and it became some sort of, of uh, trend, which is fantastic. I'm not going to be like the typical that uh, I knew it when it wasn't famous. Right. And I feel <laughs> to others because well, the more people that likes it, the more people you have to enjoy it with you, which is fantastic. Oh, I agree 100%. In the future, as uh, nerdism is becoming trendy, I really hope that uh, Cyberpunk Red accompanies the success of Cyberpunk 2077 and sees a rebirth. This thing that you said of making sub, uh, making pen and papers more accessible is something that Mike Pondsmith already tried with the third edition that nobody liked. <laughs> nobody likes. I I know I I don't know a single person that said, "Oh no, I actually." I actually loved the third edition. I right. like it better than not a single person. It has it had its things that were you know that were cool and cute, but as a game system, all this simplification that he tried to do, to because uh, the it's funny. The video games, the types of of video games RPGs that were done when when Mike Pondsmith wrote the third edition were sim simpler. So Mike Pondsmith wanted to make it simpler, like the video games. But now technology is evolving in gaming, which means that RPG are every time closer and closer to pen and paper. And it's like you try to imitate this when, when this is trying to imitate right. I don't know, up to one point, things have to be uh, more simplified for people to like them. There are a lot of video games that are complicated to, to play. You need some practice and people's, and, and they are, you know, blockbusters and they sell a lot. Right. And the same with pen and paper games. If you make people 
want to learn, once you learn the mechanics playing pen and paper games, it's not that difficult. It's just that when it's something that you don't know, it may be a little intimidating because you see pages and pages just to create your character. And it's like, oh my God, this sounds so complicated. It is not. The moment you introduce people just for a couple of times, most probably they're going to, to keep playing in the future. And also, after... After all this crisis with, with the pandemic, we're going to see an economic recession. So people are going to go back to hobbies that are cheaper than going to cinema. And pen and paper games are very cheap. Yeah. It's like the cheapest. One of the one of the, the crew needs to buy the, the physical game or digital game to play. And the rest only needs dice and maybe the snacks to have. And it's a social activity that is very cheap. So I believe that in, in a moment of economic crisis... We're going to see how well we also have streaming, which is kind, which is very cheap. That's that's the other cheap activity, but it's a great moment for people to start playing pen and paper games again. Oh yeah! When the pandemic ends and we can join together to play them. Yeah, no, and I think you you great point to be made of how you know back in the day nerds were you know nerds you know like the cool people and the jocks would kind of make fun of the nerds and it wasn't like a cool thing. It was definitely different and more segregated with styles and stuff and nerds were kind of at the bottom you know and like now it's like uh an appreciated uh real life role i guess you could call it you know and like i think like you hit the nail on the head when you mentioned marvel and the way comic cons kind of blew up and i think all that kind of shed light on all that and it became so popular that it is now kind of the forefront of real life roles i guess the, the more popular one <laughs> but um i think i think that it all started with a lot of the rings Oh, yeah. When the Lord of the Rings was so successful, people... I mean, since I was super little, I tried to convince my sister to, to read the Lord of the Rings. She didn't read until she watched the film. He's like, yeah. I've been telling you that this book is fantastic. And she yeah. said, oh, you're right. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so true. And Lord of the Rings. The world started to be filled with people you could talk about the Lord of the Rings with, mm -hmm. which was something that before you couldn't do. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I completely forgot about that. And that's so true. When that started, you know, gaining in popularity more and more, that was kind of like the foundation for nerd culture and becoming popular. And those movies blew it up. But back to the, the you know, kind of streamlined version of the rules and the popularity behind that. I, I agree with you 100% about cyber generation and, you know, third version of cyberpunk and, and almost simplifying too much, getting a little too weird on certain things. But I think D&D &D kind of did that as well with some previous uh, versions till they got to fifth edition or editions, I should say. Um, I feel that way with Red. And let me, you know, reiterate what I meant by that with Streamline. I almost feel that with Red, it wasn't a, a simplify sort of the mechanics way to let's get rid of some of the crunch. It's too much for people. 2020 was too much. I feel that with like what James Hutt did being the, you know, the mayor of Balance Town and helping create some of those rules and the, the functionality is a lot of it was built in. You know, the way that he changed body type modifiers to be built into your hit, hit points by accounting for body and will and using that chart and certain things like that to where I feel they streamlined the ease of use without simplifying the mechanics too much. He tactfully found ways to build, build it in to certain parts of the mechanics that make it easier to consume by the game master and players where it's not so much mathematics, it's just... You know, it's kind of built into it. Does that make sense to you? Uh, you need to, you need to be very careful when you are designing a pen and paper game when you want to simplify because you have to remember that we nerds love numbers. 
<laughs> oh, no, it's not. No. <laughs> Oh yeah, but uh, there were there were some things that needed some polish back in the day. I mean, I made the joke about net running, but it was true. Net running was a pain in the ass up to a point that I remember I ended up forbidding net runners in my games. If uh, if uh, I put a character in the backstory of someone that wasn't a runner, and if some information was needed from the net, it was uh, an intelligent plus uh, interface role, and that's it. If they passed the role, then they got information. I. I just I didn't want to make anyone enter into the net because that was long and long and long, and although if and, and although it was a very interesting thing to do when it comes to the dynamics of the whole group, it was it was a pain. So the for instance, this was simplified in Cyberpunk Red because the net is destroyed. Basically, you cannot enter the net anymore. But still, <clears throat> more than a simplification, one thing is making things simpler. And what uh, and a different thing is making things more dynamic, and I think that what they did in Cyberpunk Red was making things more dynamic, more than more simple. Simple is uh, giving you less options, which in the end translates into less player, less uh, um, player agency. And simplifying as is removing the things that aren't really needed, mm -hmm. which is very different. It's like Cyberpunk Red has been more like cleaning, That's more true. than simplifying. It's yeah, like, yeah. well, this we really don't need it. This we don't need it either. In a way that that, that uh, create creates uh, the, it has mechanics that uh, are polished, removing all the things that we really, really don't know. I don't need. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's that's a great way to put it. You know, kind of cleaning it up. You know, trimming some of the fat off of it. You know, um, I think that's great. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm seeing uh, people kind of agreeing in the chat there. We're, we're at the end of community questions, so I'm just going to let everybody in there in the live chat know. Um, we're going to kind of wrap up this interview. I know for Mad Queen, uh, the time zone difference, it's like super late where you are. I really appreciate you hanging out late with me and doing this. Um, I'm here. <laughs> yeah, uh, and see here in, in LA, it's only 4 p.m., so I still got the rest of my day. Uh, you know, so I appreciate you toughing it out and doing super late. I know we were, we were joking about that earlier in the, via emails and stuff. But before we kind of, before I kill this transmission, I wanted to just give you a chance for any last words about cyberpunk, about lore. I definitely want you to explain to people what you have in store for the future of the Mad Queen show and what, you, you know, things that you have going on. I'm sure there's some things maybe you can't talk about, whether via NDAs or you don't want to reveal things you're working on in plans. But whatever you can talk about. Let's talk, you know, just let everyone know kind of what's in store. Uh, you know, anything else you want to mention about Cyberpunk first and then what's in store for the future of Mad Queen? Well, the truth is that I, I improvise more <laughs> than it looks. <laughs> I improvise well more than, than what it looks and I really need to, you know, put my mind into finding something new to do. Maybe, I mean, yes, I, I had the idea of the commercials. I can do more. But I already did a lot of commercials, and now I need to find a new idea, because that's that's the thing. That's the funny thing about about YouTube that I can do whatever I want, but I need to know what do I want to do, and uh, I can explore new ways of creativity. But I I don't know to be completely honest, and I don't know yet what I'm going to do. On the one hand, we're going to have Cyberpunk for the long run. We have uh, the game. The next week, we're going to have the expansions. But in the future, we're going to have the uh, the online. But uh, how how am I going to do it in the channel? I don't know yet. Do you think I don't know yet. But at some point, I will find out. <laughs> do you think you'll you'll? Uh, I mean, obviously, I hope you keep making the fake ads 
You know, I love that stuff. Obviously, diving more into any aspects of the lore and how you break it down and connect things from 2020 through Red to 2077. Anytime you come across things to talk about like that, keep doing it. We all love it, you know? But the other, I was wondering, are you going to get into any live streaming? Like I, I talked to you about the tabletop, and I'm sure we'll talk more about that. And hopefully I can get you down with some one-shots or things with some of our teams and people I'm playing with. But, um, but what about streaming the 2077 video game? Do you think you might do that? Like, you, you know, you used to oh, stream yeah. games back in the day a lot. And now it's all about the lore. Are you going to gameplay? Well, I stopped, I stopped uh, streaming games because the truth is that you have to be pending on so many things when you're on stream. Oh, I, thought, I thought it was because you stopped. I thought it was because you stopped babysitting. You just stopped streaming games. <laughs> well, I streamed, I streamed Ghost Runner and uh, I'm, I'm horrible at that game like everybody else. People that pretend that they're good, it's not true. Maybe the fifth time you play the game, you stop being it. So <laughs> if you see anybody that is not killed a hundred times, they play the game several times. <laughs> so I started playing, uh, started playing Ghost Runner, but I was uh, <clears throat> copyright hit by the soundtrack. <laughs> uh. And I stopped I stopped streaming. Um, and But yeah, well, I will stream Cyberpunk 2077, although the first gameplay I'm going to make it in private. And the first gameplay is going to be a Street Kid solo. What I don't know if, if as I talked so much about my first Street Kid solo, I don't know if then my second gameplay is going to also be a Street Kid solo. I thought about my second gameplay to be a corporate, mm. but an asshole corporate to see how this plays with Johnny Silverhand. Like, hello, you hate Arasaka? Hey, I used to work there. Yeah, <laughs> nice. But yeah, it was, I, I'm. Not going to make guides, most probably, because there's going to be plenty of people doing guides. Mm. And except a very specific thing that nobody else found out how to do and I do, I'd rather other people doing... It's not It's not what I like doing the best, obviously, doing guides. I need, I, I like things that are more philosophical and more about thinking. Oh, yeah. But yeah, how the law evolves in 2077 is also something that at some point, but at some point will uh, I will explain. Hell yeah. Because the canonical lore is up to twenty seventy seven, but then the story continues. The story of twenty seventy seven is going to continue. So what happens with Arasaka? We're going to blow the Arasaka Tower because it looks like we're going to blow Arasaka Tower at some point. Because it was it was destroyed by Johnny Silverhand in twenty thirteen, then rebuilt, then destroyed by, by Johnny Silverhand in twenty twenty three, then rebuilt. Now it needs to be destroyed by Johnny Silverhand in twenty seventy seven. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, and somebody, uh, Reservoir Panda, one of our resident GMs at uh, Cyberpunk Uncensored. Um, and let me just mention real quick, anybody watching, if you want to play or GM, hit up the Cyberpunk Uncensored Discord. We're hooking up GMs with players all the time. We're streaming a lot of different GMs. It's a lot of fun. But he mentioned in there something I was going to mention when you, you talked about the copyright law. One thing really cool about uh, 2077 is they they put in that that function to avoid copyright takedowns where you can kind of remove the... Um, copywritten music and things, um, so that's really awesome. Yeah, let's see what's hap- what happens with nudity because it's the other problem YouTube has. And I've had I had the streams taken down because of the nudity of the video game in the middle of the yeah. stream. You know, interviewing oh, wow. Miles Toast, by the way. Yeah. Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> we were interviewing Miles Toast with uh, like two thousand people watching, and YouTube <laughs> said goodbye. Oh my god! <laughs> and we were like. What happened? What happened? Oh, God. Yeah, I didn't even think about that, that, uh, you know, some of the content, it might not just be copyright stuff, the content itself might push some of the limits of YouTube um, with some of that. Yeah, I'll be curious to see. Too many limits. What was that? 
YouTube has too many limits. Oh yeah, no, most definitely. When when you upload a video or when you do a stream, you have uh, the ability to tell YouTube is if the content is for kids or no. Obviously, kids can access to your content, but it won't be served to them. So I don't know why it's so restrictive with certain things, like talking about politics. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And when I talk about politics, I talk about cyberpunk politics that happened a lot, that happened to be very similar to the politics nowadays. But I am not the kind of person that, you know, goes, goes to the extreme or tries to create controversy. So I, do, I don't understand what this... Yeah, it's obviously... Like that, yeah. No, it seems like you know, like most of the sites, there's an automated ag- algorithm or whatever that's like triggering things, and there's really no one behind the wheel to look at the details and decide, hey, wait, that doesn't make sense. You know, it's just this sort of automated system that kind of isn't fair sometimes. You know, um, but when it comes to Cyberpunk 2077, I think maybe maybe some of the violence, but definitely some of the nudity is going to trigger some things. I think I didn't even think of that. Anything, it's nudity. Yeah, you can I, shoot in the head, and there's no problem. But show a boob. Oh. Yeah, that's that's true. Now I didn't even think about that till you mentioned it. I'm curious to see how that's going to play out. Um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, before we, we, like I said, before I kill the transmission, let people know where they can find you. As if people, sh- you know, probably, like I said, if you don't already know, you're li- you're probably living under a rock. Um, everyone's a huge fan and, and all that, you know. But for the people in the back, maybe reiterate and and uh, say it loud and clear. Where can people find you? Uh, and where where are your your most dominant social networking sites or places that you want to direct people to? Well, on YouTube, I am on youtube.com slash TV, And I'm also on Twitter. I spend a lot of time on Twitter. Lately, not that much because, you know, spoilers. And uh, some people, some some uh, companies started to ship collector's edition of Cyberpunk and also some copies were stolen. So this people is, is already yeah. playing the game. So no, no spoilers for me. But uh, usually I am a lot of on Twitter. You can you will find me at Matt Queen Show and on Instagram. Not that much, but I am also there every now and then. Oh yeah, so YouTube dominant. That's where everyone can find the most. And you you put out content on almost every day, right? Well, I, I uh, some months ago I put content almost every day, but uh, shortly I started uh, working with a writer. Because the problem that I have when when uh, doing videos is that uh, English is my third language, and sometimes I'm not I'm not capable of explaining what I want to explain because I just simply don't dominate the language. So now I have a writer uh, <laughs> that I've been indoctrinating into the law of cyberpunk. Nice. So I can vomit all the law to him <laughs> and let him know what I want to explain, and he turns it into a beautiful script. Unfortunately, uh, his beautiful scripts are half an hour long. And yeah, one day, one thing is making a daily 10 minutes video, but the daily half an hour video is uh, from very difficult to impossible. Yeah, I can see that, most definitely. Um, and someone mentioned in the chat too, I just wanted to, wanted to verify this, but they said you, in the game, aside from turning off copywritten music for streaming, you can turn off nudity as well if you're streaming. <laughs> I don't remember seeing them. Yeah, I'm wondering if that's valid. Saying that officially. That's been a rumor for long, and this is something that very back in the day, on one day in the podcast that we had some someone from Red, we requested. I don't know it's, if it's really been implemented. Honestly, I have no idea. Yeah. I don't remember that much yet. And if they mentioned it lately, I'm trying not to pay attention to things because spoilers. Yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. 
Now, hopefully they do. You know, I think it would go hand in hand with that music aspect. People are going to stream it if they can protect the streamers a little bit. I think that would be really cool. The other thing, um, my net runner for my on- ongoing uh, stream, uh, Daniel in there, Giz- Gizmo, uh, he was saying also your Patreon. Not just your YouTube is your main. You're also on Twitter, Instagram. You also have a, a, an active Patreon too. Yes, yeah, so and I am patreon.com slash Show. And I have, uh, and I have uh, one of the tiers is to join the Cyberpunk Red Games, and uh, I, I usually lately because I've been, I've been super, super busy with uh, Cyberpunk Red and with a couple more things, and I couldn't do it. But usually I have exclusive content and making of uh, videos. Not lately because as lately I, I, I've done the typical, you know, on camera normal videos. <laughs> That's not making off the show. But on more elaborate videos, like the ones in space and the one of Rage Bartmos, there's some. There's yeah. always something funny to learn about how they are done. Oh yeah, awesome. Well, cool. I think we covered all, all your, you know, links and places people can find you. Um, I'm probably, you know, when I archive this video and I get the details in here, anybody watching, whether you're seeing the actual live stream now or the archived version on YouTube, I'll make sure I grab those links and I put them in the description along with the other Cyberpunk Uncensored links and such. So if you're watching this. Check out the description, show some love and support to the Mad Queen, and uh, you know, like and share the videos, and uh, anybody looking to play, join the Discord, just hit us up, show some love. Um, thanks so much uh, for joining me, I really do appreciate it. Last words? Yeah, no, I, I'm, I say, I'm saying a question that I'd like to answer that says, oh, yeah. Ion says, Jim is writer. Yeah, Jim is my writer. Jim, oh, okay. this person that you, that you uh, learned about recently, because we're doing some streams. At the same that, as with Telsorian, we join and we discuss about the law. So uh, at some point we had let's go into do some streams. And, I'll, and also it's very funny because uh, he says a lot of swears. And oh. his fuck count on the last stream was like 120. Oh, God. <laughs> I thought I was hour. bad. <laughs> but yes, he's the, he's the person that I vomit all the law. I mean, I vomit all the law, but he's reaching a point where he's learning a lot and I don't have to correct a lot of plenty of things, just a couple in, in each script. But yeah, he's the one to blame of making yeah. half an hour videos. But he's really good. He's really good. And the streaming with him is always super funny. Awesome. Yeah, no, I'm glad somebody mentioned and you got to give him a, a little plug and appreciation there because that's very cool. At least you're able to expand uh, with his help like that. That's really cool. Um, but yeah, thanks again for joining me. I know it's late there. I really do appreciate it. And um, yeah, everybody check out the links in the description and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye.